we got to pick a series name. And frankly, I think our strongest case is a slant rhyme with radio. Gorilla Gladio. How about Gladio Free Europe? Gladio Free yeah. Europe is a very strong contender. That is actually a good one. I, I think, think that's literally a podcast, though. Isn't, isn't there the new one called that? Yeah. Oh, really? Um, how many followers do they have on Twitter? We can steamroll. <laughs> I got to a point in my brainstorming where I just started getting poetic with it, and I was like, what do we call it? The Song of Wolves. <laughs> what cool. is like, yeah, something like Song of Ice and Fire, which is... Uh, um, <laughs> Song of Ice and Various Unexplained Crimes. Um, Does Eurovision have a very specific connotation, or is it just a fun combo word we can work in there? Uh, Eurovision is the greatest television thing in the world. I will not have it sullied on my podcast. Um, We get very into it. But is it part of Gladio, I guess is my question. It's one of the various institutions set up after World War II to like supposedly keep the peace but uh, uh so there's no way to tell whether the peace in europe is being kept by nato the eu or the eurovision and uh we definitely can't remove any of them in like a, some sort of complunk situation how, shit, uh, fuck. No. how about <laughs> uh how about gladio yeah. killed the you see where i'm going with this <laughs> oh that's pretty good. the voting yeah. star the, the uh socialism star Soviet star? Uh, Gladio Gladio. killed the socialism star. Welcome back to our program. (laughs) I think you could just do Gladio killed the and then dot dot dot. And then we just say what Gladio killed this week. Gladio killed the redacted. Orange you Gladio. I didn't say Gladio. Gladio radio. That's kind of fun. Orange you Gladio. Gladio free Europe is by far the strongest one. (laughs) Do do, do we have 332? Do we have a, a 332? Oh, they followers. exist and they only have 332. Yeah. yeah. I feel like this is behind the paywall. We, I think we, can, we, can, we can do Gladio Free. Do we follow you, them? You're going to burn. No, I, I think I do. Okay. Because they follow me. I think they probably did follow me. Shit. I think, they, like, I think I remember this and they've <laughs> uploaded like two episodes. Yeah, what? Yeah, fuck those guys. Honestly, <laughs> they're kind of the main thing I wanted to pick a bone with in this series. <laughs> they're, the, they're kind of like a Dan Ninen situation. Sounds like they just come up with a good name and then copyright it, or I don't know if they've even. I just looked it up. They're on episode 22. But are they famous? Let's see. They're not. They have 300 followers on Twitter. Get fucked. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> You took uh, the only good Gladio name, and you're just gonna sit on it. I don't Daniel think so. Best, Daniel Bester was on it two episodes ago. They're kind of <laughs> okay, both us. fine. <laughs> Jake Flores is one of the hosts. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to say anything. How about uh, Gladio P Europe? <laughs> All right, so I want to open with a, a not often discussed uh, Gladio event. Which is uh, Delhaize Supermarket, uh, which is a middle-class supermarket in Belgium, uh, in the town of Alst, a commuter town to the northeast of Brussels, on November 9th, nineteen eighty-five, um, which is a Saturday, and also Saint Martin's Day, which is basically Belgian Christmas uh, when they go and get toys. Um, basically, on a busy shopping day in the supermarket, everyone out doing their morning shopping, trying to get last-minute gifts and things like that. A Volkswagen GTI was parked outside the supermarket and three armed men in hoods over their heads came out of the car. 
The tallest of the three produced a pump-action shotgun, opened fire at point-blank range, and finished off in cold blood two shoppers instantly. Upon reaching the checkout counter, he began to fire randomly at anything that moved. I saw three masked men coming out of the rear, a man said to his child, Drop down. There they are. An unnamed witness recalls the terror. One bystander who tried to flee was shot at seven or eight bullets through his car and shot grazing behind the ear. Total panic reigned. One woman whose face was covered in blood was screaming something about her child. I don't know exactly what. There was little cover or shelter for the terrified shoppers in the aisles of the supermarket from the three masked gunmen. In the ensuing massacre, eight people, including a whole family, died and seven more were injured. A husband and wife and their 14-year-old daughter were finished off in cold blood at the supermarket checkout. Another father and his nine-year-old daughter were killed in the car trying to flee. The massacre in Alst was the last of many events that came to be known as the Brabant Massacres, named for Brabant, the uh, surrounding area of Brussels, the largest city and capital of Belgium. They were immediately odd for a handful of reasons. A lack of obvious motive, the professionalism displayed, and the investigations lacking any results. In 1988, British investigative journalist John Palmer had reported that evidence for the Brabant massacres now points to a not insignificant extreme right-wing group, including neo-Nazi, called Westland New Post, or WMP, the militant wing of the Belgian ultra-right-wing organization Front de la Jeunesse, and was founded by Paul Latinus. When in January 1981 the left-wing magazine Poor exposed the right-winger in the government and his connections, Latinus abandoned his public offices and fled to Pinochet's Chile. The magazine went down to claim he'd been implanted specifically to train the WMP how to carry out violent attacks, how to organize military training camps, and how to carry out surveillance. Martial Lecou, a Belgian gendarme from 1972 to 1984, and fled to Florida in the United States shortly after, later served as an expert witness and press informant of what happened in Brabant in the mid-1980s. He's quoted as saying, We knew we were protected by all the possible authorities depending on the type of mission. Was he, Paul Latinus, Latinus, paid by the Americans? I can't say, but he was in contact with them. It was journalist Hakuin who later provided the missing link in this, in this whole case, an interview with WMP terrorist Paul Latinus. This is Hakuin speaking. When we met up at the following days and weeks, I asked Latinus who had asked him to build the group, the WMP. He mentioned state security. He talked to foreign military authorities. I pushed him and he eventually said American Military Secret Services. He later clarified under oath that his, in his own testimony to Belgian authorities, it was the DIA, the Pentagon Intelligence. Shortly after this, on April 24th, 1985, Latinus was found by his girlfriend, strangled in his basement, hung by a phone cord with his feet still touching the ground. Hakuin, the journalist who interviewed him previously, would go on to write, Each time when they attempted to reconstruct the suicide, the telephone cord broke. It could not hold his weight. Hakuin wondered, if the United States have nothing to do with the massacres, why then do they not communicate, keep silent, and leave suspicions to grow? And that you hear is not the plot to your newest and even slower Hideo Kojima title. <laughs> it is one of the many events of the shadowy formation that is Operation Gladio, which we will be taking apart in our new and exciting series, Yanks and Tanks? No thanks, <laughs> we haven't named it yet. We're going to name it, this episode we're going to name it, and we'll it's a cross-podcast. How about um, 
the hyoid bone usually breaks in Belgian men. <laughs> That's normal. Belgians are known for incredibly weak hyoid bones. The, the main problem we're having, I think, is the title's over eight words long. <laughs> well, that's the problem with Gladio in general. Is if you ever try to sit down and explain it to anyone, it just takes a million years. Wait, what? In <laughs> Brussels is different than Belgium. I thought you were just explaining the plot of the Hillary Clinton cl- thriller novel that she just wrote. <laughs> I think I got it. She's actually, I think I got the title. Okay. Aren't you glad I didn't say EO? Anders from the mouths of babes. <laughs> Clearly, this will be our title, and this is a Pod Damn America Corners Baby collaboration project. Let's do a quick roll call. Alex is here, along with Jake Flores, Agent Flores, present. Anders Lee, Anders Lee here. The Corners Baby Podcast. Hey, it's Kieran Dold. My agent name is pending, but it will be German for no reason. Don't look into why it's German. <laughs> hey, I'm Rob. Um, code name. Lacuna. <laughs> Lacuna. Wow. Yes, and again, as a point of order, if you have an agent name, it's best to tell everyone in a big meeting so they know and can associate it with your real name. God, I wish I had thought of Lacuna. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. You know, my spy name uh, is Anne Dursley. Oh, my uh, God. Ooh, mysterious. You never see it coming. Anne is short for Anders. Ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> Anders Dursley. Anders, Anders Dursley. Well, folks, today uh, we're going to try the hardest anyone has ever tried to keep this podcast under two hours. While we open up just the beginning of the conversation, what was Operation Gladio and how come none of us have ever heard of it before? (laughs) (laughs) I once sat down an Austrian political science student and explained Gladio and watched his whole fucking face (laughs) drop. He's like, you learned nothing in college. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's particularly bad. I mean, it's always easy to talk about Americans being ignorant about the rest of the world. But I would say in my, at least in in my experience, people in Europe know less about Gladio Mm. than even a, you know, a certain kind of, uh, leftist podcast listener in the u.s yeah which is surprising because you would assume that like americans don't know about it because it's just like a thing that takes place somewhere else but you can't get much more euro news than this we're gonna be saying all kinds of old french names oh yeah it's gonna be great and it's also uh, uh particularly terrifying when you also like a lot of the events that we'll discuss happen from like 45 onwards, which is like, sure, I can understand people not necessarily knowing about history, but this all came out in like 90s to like some of the revelations come out like early 2000s. And like everyone I talked to was alive during mm-hmm. that. <laughs> it's not like really ancient history. So, uh, and yeah. what uh, sparked the revelations? I ass- My assumption would be that the 90s ones... May have had something to do with Oliver Stone's JFK, and uh, is that <laughs> is that uh, seriously? Because that that uh, in the U.S. anyway, that caused the government to disclose a lot of stuff and you know kick the can down the road as they're still doing about releasing some documents. But did that ever, why why, oh. why uh, those two periods was was the information released? Can can we say what the thing is before we get into yeah, whether yeah. Oliver Stone's film <laughs> influenced it or not? <laughs> <laughs> who, who can do it? Kieran, do you think you can summarize Gladio? I, I can give you the sentences? Wikipedia, like, w- the what you tell your mom Gladio is. 
Gladio was a stay-behind operation. Stay-behind operations are nothing new. Uh, the idea being that we have a army that exists within a country that has been recently occupied. Um, and they exist to do guerrilla warfare and sabotage against the occupying power. Operation Gladio, in specific, was a the Italian branch of what was an entirely Western European and American project to set up these stay-behind armies in waiting in mostly NATO member countries and some others um, in case of a Soviet invasion to sabotage uh, the USSR if they invaded Italy, Austria, Germany, Belgium, wherever else. Um, that's that's the that's the kind of like vanilla way you can describe it. The the two ways that this went wrong was or right depending on who you are. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly uh, as planned. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is that um, the army w- didn't first of all didn't really start doing shit when the USSR invaded? For any of you history buffs out there, you might have known that Italy was never invaded by the USSR. Uh, uh, they got they jumped the gun a bit and started doing shit beforehand. They had kind of complete judicial diplomatic immunity. And the second thing that went wrong, and I think there's a there's a good BBC documentary on Gladio in the early '90s that makes this case, which is very interesting. Which is, uh, you know, they're told you know communists are the enemies, communists are the enemies, the USSR they're going to come, blah blah blah. But then Cuba happens, and all of them suddenly click. Italy's not going to become communist because the USSR invades. It'll become communist because the Italian people want it to become communist. And then that switches from the Soviets to the enemy to everyone around me is my enemy. Um, And that starts rearing its ugly head in a lot of very specific ways. And not to get too bogged down on the weeds here, but he also had Greece at the time, which during World War II... The uh, I believe the royal Greek royal family had been sort of in exile, and they had like a communist mm-hmm. uh, movement, very robust one at that time. And then they were threatening to. Uh, it looked like they were going to take over Greece, but they were. This was like the sort of the first foot put down by the United States post World War II in a way. Uh, Truman mm-hmm. was like, "We're not going to let communism happen in Greece." That was the public face of it, and then there was this sort of. Uh, more um, secretive clandestine shit. Yeah. Right. The spicy nugget that may not appear up front in the Wikipedia page, which is still worth giving a click if you have the time, Mm. uh, is the concept of the project is a network that will be able, that you could call on to hold off the Soviets if the Soviets invade. But when you ask the follow-up question, of who specifically comprises a group that would join a network of people who would be interested <laughs> in killing people if the Soviets invade. It's surprisingly all of the fascists we were trying to kill just three months before. So it is an Ooh. intentional plan by global capitalism and the allied powers to essentially put fascists back in control or at least maintain their political place at the table through the 20th century. I would even take one, perhaps one layer further, uh, and I guess we also have to specify that all of this, because of the strict secrecy of not only NATO or records, but like the uh, post-World War II um, European states, supranational uh, intelligence networks, um, 
the whole point is a certain kind of uh, secrecy, is a kind of confusion which frustrates um, not only political organizing, but any kind of uh, left-wing challenge or revolutionary challenge to the state. And so it is not a coincidence that Gladio is built out of World War II, and it's not a coincidence that World War II is itself a culmination of the forces of um, the uh, the workers' movement, of uh, fascism emerging in Europe, of all of these challenges to the uh, the idea of a you know liberal, democratic, capitalist state, mm. um, and the contradictions it's going through. Yeah, and so y- you almost have to like take a step back and remember that like even the I don't know what you want to call it the narrative or the uh the story you're told which is that we live in a liberal democratic state where everything's you know there's a rule of law um that certainly wasn't the case when these same countries were uh you know colonizing the world um mm. there's certainly no rules about that and and with the rise of a challenge to you know uh, or not just a challenge, but like an actual outgrowth of the contradictions of the state in the form of revolutionary movements, the state v- the very easily um, not only spawns fascism and fascist movements in, in certain areas of its existence, in certain states, but also the ability for the liberal state to be, to have like a state of exception, right? That there's, a, the the power of the state is to centralize you know, to monopolize uh, violence and to have basically unchecked sovereignty, uh, which can be applied however it may see fit. And so, whereas in, we were talking earlier that even the, uh, an idea like uh, a fifth column, which is referenced a lot, mm. comes from the Spanish Civil War. Yep. And so it is when these states face a revolutionary challenge from their own citizens or the citizenry that suddenly okay, the, the very idea of that everyone in a state or in a nation state could have citizenship is fundamentally undermined yeah. because they are a security threat. And so that is the fundamental bedrock of any kind of uh, peacekeeping, of making the world safe for democracy, of course, quote-unquote, really making the world, world safe for capital. That Gladio is, I think, one of the most um, interesting, certainly one of the most evocative cases of how that actually played out in reconstructing a new world order hmm. post World War Two, the the conclusion here is pretty scandalous, right? Because this is an intentional plan by the military wing of capital to use military force, like killing people and kidnapping people and doing terrorism, to subvert democracy, which on paper is supposed to be the controlling operative of this whole thing. And if it's not, that means there's something else guiding this whole system, which we know is capitalism. But uh, with that said, the real question about Gladio uh, is why, if it's public information, does no one know about it? Which gets back to Anders' question. Uh, If you read this Wikipedia article, it says on the side, there's a little sidebar, it says uh, Operation Gladio was a CIA mission and blah, 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 and it ended in 1990. (laughs) So in what ways did this end in 1990? And in what ways is this just the world we live in, I guess, is the question. So, okay. God damn it. Um, so I guess the 1990 is the key date because that's when we get, like, the Andriati uh, uh, drop. Uh, former Prime Minister of Italy, Andriati, 
uh, is the one who kind of comes out and be like, fuck all you bitches. Uh, we were doing insane anti-democratic shit. Um, this is... This is for you not being, uh, 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 for not letting me be prime minister for longer. I, I really don't know his <laughs> motivation for it, but he basically dropped it. It's so fucking funny because, like, when he says, like, and this was happening all over Europe, the, like, uh, uh, the authorities in France were like, nah, we weren't doing it. And then he came back and be like, I saw you at the meeting last week. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was just, like, the most petty bullshit. You but- took the last parfait from the buffet table. I still have, <laughs> I'm still pissed. I mean, it, I wanted it, that. It's super interesting. Like, um, Italy in general in the early 90s is super interesting because like at the same time their conventional parties all collapse um you have the clean hands trial where like basically everyone in the government of the civil service is just like arrested right um which i think also there's there's new light shed on that in the context of gladio too absolutely because yeah. one of the um instigating circumstances in Italy was a specific judge re- researching a specific case yep in which you know it's the Bologna the, bombing, I think, was the uh, Bologna massacre. The one, the 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 judge Casson was that 1972 bombing. Of oh, like it was yeah. like a car bomb next to um, the Carabinieri, the Italian paramilitary police. Oh yeah, that, that that's, they blamed <laughs> on the left. That's one of the things and that like, like did in Italy. This is like the biggest the bomb we've ever found. Yeah. Only NATO has this. That's uh, a big bomb. So, uh, Italy, Italy in yeah. general is often. A very interesting case in the yeah. early 90s but i think one of the things that happens about like what diffuses this is one it's kind of like a slow reveal of like whoa what's happening in italy and then like maybe next week maybe next month it comes out in the press in like spain or portugal is like oh shit we were doing that too and like this story is kind of stretched out very slowly over a handful of months across europe similarly and like even years like we didn't know about finland until like uh, the early 2000s or late 90s that finland had a stay behind army um similarly the top story in the early 90s was probably not what was going on in italy at the time it was probably the fact that the entire soviet bloc is collapsing mm, okay. um and what's happening to all the Eastern European countries. Which um, nicely coincides with the time to tell everyone you've had a secret army the whole time, because you can immediately yeah. go, but we don't need it anymore. Right, exactly. So don't exactly. worry about it, because it's and not th- a problem. Yeah, and I also just want to say that while the 1990 understanding of events and Andriotti's leaks is like where a lot of people in the Wikipedia article tells you the story starts, that's actually not true. In the opening monologue where I talked about Belgium, you notice that, like, investigative reporter in 1988 is uncovering shit. In 1985, in 1983, in 1981 is uncovering shit in Belgium. Similarly, one of the big drops of information, if you want to call it that, I hate that I use the word drop. I hate the internet's done this to me. <laughs> but um, the one of the big loads of information was actually the end loads of... Loads is a much better term, not from the Thank internet you. at all. <laughs> no, it's Australian. It's fine. Um... <laughs> It just means lots of. Uh, let me see. Yeah, the the big one was uh, when Ustado Nuevo uh, collapsed the uh, fascist dictatorship of Portugal in 1974, and they did a raid on the offices of a fake press organization called Aginter Press, which for anyone who doesn't know, that was the Gladio wing of Portugal. And in there, they're just like, well, there's a bunch of like... Uh, uh, ex-paramilitary French guys who were like registered with this company um, who all have addresses in like Pinochet's Chile or like fascist Bolivia now and things like that Weird. Um, yeah the big piece of information I guess comes out in the 90s was at, with Andriotti is actually 
yeah, all this shit was connected. Uh, while Belgium was investigating its own shit, while Portugal was investigating its own shit, um, they started to realize, and also Italy as well, like a lot of these trials started before 1990 and things were getting suspicious. Um, it was Andriotti's piece of information in 1990 that was like, um, these clandestine networks were all helping each other mm-hmm. do this shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a conspiracy. It's a classical <laughs> Illuminati-style conspiracy, but real and recent. <laughs> and these stay-behind armies are not the point men of these operations because you have a recurring uh, phenomenon during this where the president you vote for in the election on TV is aware of it. And even if you put the socialist in office or whatever... They get a guy in a suit who shows up at their office and tells them they can't do certain things. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this goes to my hypothesis for uh, why this is not a big spectacle in the media. And I think it's because people don't want to know about it. It's very <laughs> inconvenient. It kind of ruins your entire perception of society mm. uh, and uh, lays bare all of the skeletons in all of the closets. And you find out Nine-tenths of the rooms in your house are closets. But maybe the fact that they admitted to it is the U.S. being like... Because yeah, at the time, in in uh, like the 80s and stuff, the Donald Trumps of the world were like, America needs to get even tougher with the Soviet Union. I can't believe we're not blowing up you know, people every day. Why aren't we doing secret shit all the time and uh, and being more aggressive? And I bet a lot of these uh, intelligence officials are like, oh, if you only knew... DJT. Oh, brother. <laughs> We're blowing up grocery stores left yeah, and right. Yeah, and once, and once the, you know, the thing fell, they were like, couldn't wait to brag about it because they thought this was a good thing. We'll get to it, but actually a lot of details come out because CIA guys really love writing autobiographies <laughs> when they retire. They're memoirs. That's the deal. Remember, okay. have you ever seen yeah, their memoirs. Burn, uh, Burn After Reading? Yeah. I'm going to be the next Ian Fleming, so help me God. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, your point, Alex, is especially true in Europe because it would seem the most uh, germane to, you know, there's a lot of talk of the EU and, you know, a new pan-European politics instead mm-hmm. of this, like, national tribalism or whatever. And then one of the parties that uh, advocates for that the strongest is, like, heavily tied with McKinsey and Co. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> on this podcast, we've ventured once or twice. What does Europe even mean? Uh, oh, yeah. Is it just, like, a... a, a, a catholic scheme to get people to uh to uh, reassert the monarchy yeah. in some form is it um is it just yeah is it is a certain kind of um uh white na- i guess white nationalism isn't yeah. the right word but yeah europe is defined in opposition white to supremacy yeah. um at some point it was uh the workers movement certainly thought that we are like literally the international was the collection of european workers parties trying yeah. to define something in europe and then at some point it's no it's you know, fascism as a reaction to that yeah. and liberalism and, and, uh, capitalism is pretty flexible with what exactly this container of Europe is in post-world war two. I don't think this is a, an exaggeration at all. Like Gladio is Europe. There is no Europe after world war two, right? It is destroyed. It has been gone through yeah. however mil- uh, millions of deaths, uh, both in war and through, you know, um, systematic extermination. Yeah. The, the, the Nazis killed as many Slavic people in the East that they did Jewish people in concentration camps. Like it's and whole parts of this continent are just useless, functionally and, useless. Uh, of course, one of the dividing 
of the Europe we know today, hmm. that one of the dividing lines is this ideological one between the West and the East and Soviet communism and uh, Western liberal capitalism. And so if Europe is going to mean anything, basically a new something, you have to wipe the slate clean. And Gladio is basically uh, in the same way that Europe had to reassert itself to the challenge of the revolutionary movements. Hmm. Gladio was the connective tissue that defined the new Europe. And so this brings me up to the 1990 and the, you know, the end of the Cold War and the revelations. I mean, saying it's a limited hangout implies a certain degree of cooperation, which who knows? Maybe there was. Yeah. But it's certainly uh, on the one hand, they can almost absolve themselves of what needed to be done to reach this point in 1990, the abutting uh you know, interconnected Europe, a budding, mm-hmm. you know, definitely on the path to where we are today with the level of uh, Europe, the, the, what we have with the European Union. Um, it's like Europe going from phase one to phase two. And it's quite convenient that all of the bad stuff that had to happen to get there, you can wash your hands of at the same time you're saying, well, we're going to build a new open kind of democratic politics. And yeah. it almost doesn't matter. Right, what right, right. We, right. Had we to don't do need to talk here. about phase one anymore. Yeah, we're yeah, past yeah. phase one. Yeah. It's not oh, actually... A lot of European countries actually do love that. It was like, literally with Italy, it was like, no, 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 that was the first republic. This is now the second <laughs> Italian republic. <laughs> Go straight to voicemail. <laughs> yeah, completely unrelated. We're all the same guys. For clarity, can you just find that term limited hangout? Because I think oh, that's sure. it's pretty um, important to what's kind of going on here with this. Yeah, Defy, so, I, I mean, my attempt would be that in any kind of uh, covert operations or... Uh, secret uh, uh, knowledge of what's going on if in uh, from security or intelligence uh, a limited hangout would be um, revealing some facts of the case to quell public interest or maybe there's rumors or there's a push by independent judges or whatever it might be yeah. to try to clarify what's going on a limited hangout would be to reveal some aspects of what happened in order to you know dust your hands theatrically and say well that's everything and then move on yeah right. it's it's a, it's that classic teenage technique you learn when you're trying to get one by your parents of like don't lie to your parents and say that you're like oh i'm going to the library to like study in advance for exams because that's just completely unbelievable you lie by telling them some of the bad stuff you've done so you don't have to tell them the really <laughs> bad stuff you've done did that work <laughs> yeah sometimes <laughs> I was uh, <laughs> 10 yards away from a guy with a cigarette. I admit that I ate one piece of cake that I shouldn't have <laughs> rather than three. I admit I, I shot up have. one supermarket that I shouldn't yeah, have. I merely shot up one supermarket. My, I'm sure some of the Belgian gladiators I didn't use the RPG. Uh, there's no way. I would just tell my parents what I did in like 11th grade and there was no way they believed me because it was always like, yeah, me and my friends, we got some cookies and listened to Steve Reich play piano music for three hours. <laughs> like, you... What? You weren't smoking pot, and like it seemed like I was <laughs> Andrews, lying because it was just sucks. so fucking lame. My Go friends, to your room, <laughs> Andrews. My, my friends and I literally would drive around town, and then we'd like drive over into the left lane, like oncoming traffic, and do British accents, and then drive back to the right <laughs> lane. <laughs> so you know, we that's, were, what, yeah. that's what Massachusetts is like. Isn't <laughs> this it? wasn't. Oh, so this wasn't in Britain. <laughs> No, no, no. Just kidding. No. Uh, <laughs> if, you, if you're listening at home as a child, tell your parents if you're doing Operation Gladio. Yeah, Seek help. Yeah, yeah. A better don't, lifestyle. Don't involve yeah, minors. Yeah. That's a good question. If I do say so myself. Oh, no, actually, uh, uh, um, well, possibly in some capacity. Mm. But going to the uh, thing that Alex said about recruitment, which was like, uh, you know, we... 
specifically don't want to recruit any communists or socialists. This becomes particularly farcical in like Belgium, the Netherlands, Luxembourg, and France, where um, the stay-behinds were actually started during Nazi occupation to initially fight the Nazis. Really? Yes, and these were the Allied-sponsored partisans, which even then had, like, no commies, no socialists allowed. Um, You have to be conservative, monarchist was probably the most common, or, like, a French fascist that was pissed off that they were hegemonically fascist. Like, I don't like this German fascism, I want to do French Mm. fascism. Uh, Is there anything worse than when you're French and getting German fascism? I know, and that right? wasn't quite uh, Vichy, is that? So Vichy was like, we're French, but we, we accept that the German are superiors. They were still like a puppet government. There was still going to be like some French na- uh, uh, fr- fascist who was pissed off with it. Yeah. You'll find right. out. Right, you, you didn't set him... that up. Yeah. You this him... is German fascism with a, like all ages advised sticker on it. It's bullshit. And that's the thing. In even Germany, there are a bunch of different not your fascist parties, not necessarily Nazi parties. Like people always say, oh, Asperger, he wasn't a Nazi. He was not a member of the Nazi party. Yeah, but he was a member of some other far-right party that had, you know, basically the same beliefs. Yeah. That's that's one of the, like, funniest things uh, uh, Rob said in the past before about the sound of music, where they're, like, the scene where he tears up the, like, (laughs) Nazi flag. Like, the reason he would be doing that was because, like, I hate this fascism. It's not, like, our good Catholic (laughs) Austrian fascism. (laughs) This stupid pagan fascism. Uh, (laughs) One thing I I want to say, uh, just because whenever you're talking about quote-unquote conspiracies, which, again, this has been documented, um, is that you can assume a certain kind of yeah, omnipotence on the part of yeah insert in you know secret cabal here mm. but the uh the struggle between and among uh rival powers rival state powers um what's the old phrase that the state's the committee to committee the bourgeoisie the bourgeoisie yeah yes yeah. Um, executive committee of capital yeah. But there's a there's a lot of competing executive committees, right? So you'll have France being like, no, 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 we we got this. We, we don't need NATO, or like yeah. trying to say we can do it ourselves. France is such an interesting to country. do the same thing, right? Yes, in yeah. in their own sphere of influence. And so when we're talking about you know French fascism or German fascism, I think it's best it's best to understand that there is tension and competition even going on yep. within and among these different forces. We can talk about some examples later. Um, that can somehow that's kind of natural that's inevitable Mm. that often opens opportunities for you know perhaps uh people who (laughs) don't don't want don't want to live like this to uh to uh, maybe do something but that's absolutely a central part of all of this uh, one aspect that's worth mentioning is like while there was coordination and stuff like that that was all being facilitated by the americans and the british to an extent as well um one of the most fascinating things I bet I find about the whole Claudio saga, and we'll do like an episode about this in the future, is just France. Because like France starts to get this like kind of a sense of an embarrassment or like I don't know how you would describe it, of just like the new world order, the post world war order is being set up and France is told it's one of the victors, but they're not really at the big kids' table like the UK and the US are. Mm. They noticed that they were given the Zaland and when they divided up Germany and yeah. they're like, This is not this is not enough. Because like they're uh, not doing Anglo excellence with us. Exactly. And like they started to realize they don't really have control over like the CIA affairs happening in their country. Um, basically every other Gladio operation was being run by a triumvirate, which was Americans, Brits, and then 
uh, you know, the complicit locals. So, like, in the Dutch one, you'd have the Dutch involved. But, like, France is just sitting there being like, wait, Britain got invited to all the rest and we didn't, basically? is like, a huge kind of weird motivator of everything that happens. Um, and naturally, they, when, you know, France starts to resist a little bit, they start to try and kill the French president. <laughs> right, which is why uh, it's important to get to, as we round out our intro segment here, that this is a 40-year operation taking place over around 15 countries. How many yeah. countries are involved in this? Uh, okay, so all the countries of NATO plus Spain, uh, Austria, Switzerland, Finland, and what was the fourth neutral country? Sweden. Sweden. Which, again, just that for, we know of. for the most pedantic argument, it's like, oh, when you sign up for NATO, you sacrifice some of your freedoms for the security reasons. Yeah. And it's like, those countries weren't in NATO. Yeah, <laughs> and why the fuck also, do they have to have your bullshit? Uh, right, and why and is the, NATO still around if there is no Soviet mm, Union? Oh my god, mm, it all—it's all coming clear. Um, well, now you got the new—you got, you got the new expansion pack. We've got Macedonia, Albania, Croatia. We can do all sorts of crazy shit here. Poland—they're super eager. Let's mm. go. NATO heroes of the abyss. Um, I think it's also worth pointing out about like the whole ending in the 90s thing. I just want to draw attention to one thing, which is like a lot of Gladio stuff happens in, in Greece. I, I think that's called Operation Sheepskin. And, uh, uh, yeah. and also in Turkey, which I believe is called Operation Counter Gorilla. Uh, yes, yes. Counter Gorilla. And they like, and then that all kind of culminates in like the invasion of Cyprus and the attempted coup in Cyprus, which like the CIA kind of backed like the CIA backed the um the coup of Samson the pro like unify with fascist Greece candidate of Cyprus and like Cyprus was running a riot with like CIA people with MI6 more so because it was a former British protectorate and still kind of was um but then like oh it ends in the 90s but actually one of the things that's like one of the most overlooked um bits of the Snowden leaks was that Cyprus is crawling with CIA, uh, operating like black sites and listening posts because it's close to the Middle East. So we'll just take that. Thank you. Okay. All right. My point is there's so much going on here. We're going to really (laughs) have to make a special effort to focus on just the thing we're talking about that day. Because otherwise this conversation is going to be wild and unfollowable. Um, so the question for today, for part one of our exciting new series, uh, origins, what happened? Oh my God. Okay, Nazism. I mean, it's, it's interesting how <laughs> I've said this many times, but like world war two is, uh, one of the only wars American kids learn about in school that our country was involved in. And cause it's like the one time where we actually had a real bad guy, right? It was actually worth, uh, worth putting the kibosh on, but that was not uh, clear from the jump if uh, for the American government. Um, but wh- how were they sort of gaming this out during the war, right? Because it seems like they were reluctant to get in, the U.S. was, and uh, far more concerned the entire time about uh, the Soviets than, than they were really the Nazis. Yep. Is that fair to say? Well, it depends on who you're talking about, right? Because if you're Talking about Operation Gladio, which is a CIA operation, Dulles is concerned about the Soviet Union before the war begins. Yeah. They're yeah. fascist sympathizers. 
Um, and that's why you have Project Paperclip at the end of the war picking up these guys, because while mm -hmm. they're fighting Germany, they're aware the entire time they would like to be fighting. And after this, will be fighting the Soviet Union. Yeah. Right. So from the departmental momentum of the CIA, this is entirely a containment strategy in part of their plan for the global clash between socialism and the global free market, right? Right. Spearheaded I, by Dulles. I would say, I think we talked about like World War II as this beginning. Um, glad, it's also we're pointing out that Gladio is older than the CIA is formerly. Uh, it started with the precursor, the OSS, uh, um, and also MI6 and MI5 had a huge involvement as well. Um, it's older than NATO as well. I think back then it was called the Western Union. Um, but if we want to talk about real origins, and if we're talking about Gladio as like the anti-communist effort in Europe, uh, then I think the clear dividing line is probably the Spanish Civil War. Because that's when uh, the Western powers, in the form of, during the Spanish Civil War, the US, France, and the UK, make a, basically uh, an active effort to say we're not supporting the Republicans, the Republicanos, uh, the, the, the socialists, Marxists, anarchists that make up this united front against Franco. Uh, they mainly do this by saying there's a blockade against Spain while they're having a civil war, but breaking their own blockade and giving oil to Franco to fuel his tanks and jeeps and Moroccan mercenaries, uh, which run on oil, I guess. The, um, so that's kind of like your beginning of it. And like I said, during the war, uh, in a lot of very Western Europe, there's these stay-behinds that are like partisan continuation stay-behinds that are like basically built from the partisan network of people who are providing like resistance to Nazi occupation and the allied backed partisans were already anti-communist no communists allowed communists need not apply even though and farcically so they were the most successful resistance to the Nazi occupation in like the Benelux countries and France um so it was weird specifically weird to not involve them um yeah the, the spanish civil the... war is is fun culturally too because i feel like common knowledge about this purely off the back of george orwell's homage to catalonia is that <laughs> stalin fucked up the spanish civil war like they were gonna win but he like came and insisted on arresting all the authors <laughs> and there's a lot more going on to it than that uh everyone named george <laughs> reminds me of georgia and my childhood i don't want to think about it <laughs> i think the the term that always springs to mind for me is forever war which we use in a very modern sense but i think starting with spanish civil war and when we're talking about the u.s perspective on world war ii and the fact that the OS, something like the you mentioned earlier kieran that say behind networks are nothing new in warfare Right. Yep. So there were um, partisan networks, both, you know, trying to be set up by Western powers and also independent communist ones yep. in different theaters of the war in Europe. And from the U.S. perspective, I think, and from an intelligence perspective, the idea is that this will be a literally a forever war, at least until, you know, all. All, you know, possible threats to <laughs> like a like a capitalist world order are neutralized. It, so, it was Europe's earliest Call of Duty Battlegrounds map that they were <laughs> hoping much. they could just keep playing for another 50 years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
if if you just stay in the room the whole time, they can't kick you out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just don't turn off the Xbox. Yeah. <laughs> just keep buying coffee. Um, and yeah, I think that's base, that's the best way to think about it because okay, if 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 there's still a war, if even if we tell all the everyone that you know the war is over, uh, mm-hmm. if there's still a war going on from the from the point of view of the the state or or intelligence services, then they're going to still do warfare. And if you're still going to do warfare, then you know things get a bit ugly in war, and maybe you're going to do false flag bombings of uh, a bunch of farmers yeah. <laughs> in a plaza in Milan. <laughs> You mentioned the fifth column earlier. What is that? Oh, okay. I can I can give you the fifth column story because I've been obsessed with Gladio, Iberia, Spain, and Portugal. But like mm. during the Spanish Civil War, one of Franco's generals arrived at Madrid, uh, which was a Republican, Socialist, Marxist stronghold. Um, the anarchists were further north in Catalonia. They. Um, then he basically declared publicly with his like outside, you know, the walls or the border of Madrid with his four columns of like troops being like, these are my four columns and I have a fifth column inside Madrid. How do you like me now? And that was a complete lie. There wasn't a fifth column of Francoist troops within Madrid, but the people within Madrid started freaking the fuck out. Uh, because there are like there is a secret legion, uh, a, a column like I don't know how many troops that is, uh, eighty probably, <laughs> um, in Madrid ready to go um, and to let in those other four guys. So that's the origin of the term, the fifth column. Yeah, and uh, and I was using it just in the sense of uh, we, I, we've been talking a lot about the state mm-hmm. doing all this because it is like you know organized from these specific groups of you know coordinating groups but the flip side of that is you know the people or the nation or whatever it might be and i think the fifth column even the idea of a fifth column is like oh well the state cannot trust the people uh whatever it you know that 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 kind of tenuous link can just be severed when the state you know deems it necessary yeah the people become the fifth column (laughs) (laughs) that cannot be trusted and so then it's okay if you know if people have to die because it's for you know, or if people die if people get killed in whatever mm. operation is going on because it is for some you know it's that's not really the point and i think when you take a really zoomed out view of the development of capitalism you could even say uh human civilization the fact that the state is you know protecting the people is a very is just a very small sliver <laughs> and mm-hmm. of course also not very many people when you think about it but i think post world war 2 there's a bit of, I don't know, new realpolitik where it's just certain groups will be have a privileged position of protection, you know, almost like a racket. And if you're on the communists, let's say, then you're under attack. And if you're like the petit bourgeoisie, you know, stay with us and we'll make sure uh, the, you know, yeah, we might we probably won't shoot you. I to mean, put like, this in language yeah. that everyone would understand, is this... Uh, maybe a government's version of a side hustle or a <laughs> daily grind they keep yeah. going they were but, on their grind. but it's like it's kind of the whole hustle right i mean it's it's to yeah it's to keep the the spice flowing because in some you you uh i think we were talking about some cases earlier hmm. we've been talking a lot about like big state level things but like a lot, sometimes these uh stay behind networks are just used to break strikes you know yeah. something like that like the point is that 
it's not like a nice nation you live in. It's like these are all just you know you're somewhere in a supply chain, mm. and the and the security's intelligence job is to make sure that stays well lubricated. I feel like the state is a new boyfriend and he tells you this is his side hustle. But then after a couple of weeks of living with him, you realize, oh, this is your whole deal. <laughs> and everything that was on the Tinder profile or whatever, that was a fucking lie. <laughs> Thank you, you do not hike as much as you let on. <laughs> yeah. Really a professional DJ? <laughs> no, I just murder Belgian shoppers. I'm sorry. <laughs> For my comedy career, it's gonna take off anytime soon. He's gonna murder a few more choppers. Just, just yeah, I'll murder a couple of more, and then there will be no more communists left. Swearsies. <laughs> so the Spanish Civil War happens. Stay behind networks start becoming in vogue mm. as the entire continent is plunged into fire. Right. Yep. Um. World War Two happens. If you'd like to hear what happened in World War Two, check out any TV show. <laughs> go to the history channel right now yeah probably <laughs> go ahead and hit subscribe to dan carlin or something uh world war ii is the uh, uh the three things you're allowed to know about history if you're a dad which is world war ii the civil war if you're american and the roman empire uh hmm. those are the three avenues of dad history i like all those things sure. <laughs> i wonder what it's going to be in like a hundred years like the first gulf war dads are going to know about no NFTs. I think the, the three the three the three uh, uh, dad history wars are universal because it's been a long time since the roman empire if you have i guess so <laughs> i guess so <laughs> future dads are going to be really into gladio oh it's going to see gladio everywhere like i am i'm a dad man i love gladio <laughs> They're just watching like cartoons, and they're like, "Wiley, Wiley E. Coyote could not get that many explosives by himself. Who yeah, gave him? Yeah, who? who <laughs> where's Wiley Coyote's like cash? Uh, <laughs> in what is assumably Arizona? It's uh, Gladio Daddio. Should we name it that? <laughs> Gladio Daddio. Something. Hey, yeah. Not bad. Oh. Glad Dads. Gladio. Yeah. God damn it. We'll get it. We'll find we'll it. <laughs> I'm so fucking mad all the time. <laughs> Gladio, daddy-o. Everybody nope, stop more. to ask what the Roadrunner actually did. Is that a question we're allowed to ask? Wait, well, <laughs> I, didn't, I never really even thought about what, where does the name Gladio come from? Oh, it's yeah. uh, So the Italian uh, version of this is called Gladio, and it's based on the, uh, it's the word for sword. It is a word for a short sword or a gladius. A gladiator's sword. Yes, because actually everyone who is in charge of this operation were also into dad history. And they were like, (laughs) we're naming this after a Roman Empire thing. A gladius, a short sword. Just cool dudes all the way down. If you were playing Diablo uh, yeah, yeah. and you picked up a Gladius, you would probably throw it away eventually. And <laughs> yeah. Something that glows and is stronger. <laughs> uh, they all had different. They all had different names in different countries. Gladio was the first one to get like named, so that name stuck. Okay, but like some of them were just like ridiculous. Like the Austrian one was like. The Association for Hiking and Fishing um, <laughs> and stuff like that. Wait, because yeah, the was that just yeah, to deter okay. people from knowing what it was that they were really up to, or was it? So one of the requirements of being a gladiator, as they are called by like people who research this, like a- like operatives within these like stay behind networks, is you need to have a job that would allow you to take 
sojourns to take journeys and breaks without arousing suspicion. So that also like gets into the like class character of who they can hire because that's usually more comfortable jobs, like a a shopkeeper or a butcher who has to be at the shop every fucking day to get shit done can't be a gladiator because he has to be there every day. If he's gone for two weeks doing a training exercise in Belgium, you'll fucking know. Um, Only professional fishermen. <laughs> that's that is literally why they called it that in Austria because it's like yeah this is a club for people to go hiking and that was the thing you could tell your wives being like yeah we're going into the Alps for two weeks yeah it's the same shit men party. tell their wives when they're going into the woods to have sex with each other or <laughs> go to Thailand yeah. to fuck a boy no, that's medieval whatever. Europe we'll talk about that another time <laughs> if you're worried about your husband he could maybe he's in Gladio maybe he's not cheating on you <laughs> <laughs> I'm not cheating on you sweetheart I'm killing innocent it's, civilians yeah. it's also oh thank God. These names were <laughs> I, like a hot button issue at the like little uh, dad fact of my own. Uh, in Britain, Winston Churchill kept telling them to ha- come up with more serious sounding operations names because he's like, I'm not going to tell some mother that her son died in <laughs> Operation Pumpernickel. That's so funny. They can't resist we- the nerd shit. It's so funny. And it, oh, all, honestly, I wouldn't be able to either. It sounds if you're up to something this crazy and evil, you might as well call it like Operation mm. Winter Blizzard or something, because you might die doing it. I mean, I have respect for the ones who are just like being a bit more literal. Like the the Dutch one was called Operations and Intelligence, but the Danish one was like highly nerd shit because it was named after like a medieval Danish monk who fought Russian invasion. Yeah. Uh, so it was like Ab- Absalon Ooh. or something like that. Yeah, that is... Uh... <laughs> but some of the operations just have the names of the fronts. Like Agenter Press in Portugal as well. They were all claiming to be journalists like going around the world. My favorite is getting uh, stuff. Just Cause because it's so defensive. Like, yeah, we, we had to do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Necessary operation. Necessary <laughs> operation. Uh, we're just really good friends, and we like going camping. I'm not cheating <laughs> you, with your brother. Yeah, how do you say "stand your ground" in French? <laughs> <laughs> this all plays wonderfully into the first stay behind network. I would like to discuss after the events of World War II that we're just not going to discuss at all. Uh, no. You get to 1944. The Germans are starting to notice that things aren't looking good. And so High Command has the idea, what if we create a small detachment of the army that just kind of hangs out? And (laughs) they go behind allied lines and just kind of do Wile E. Coyote-style pranks, and hopefully we'll put them in there with the normal army, and then they'll just be chaos agents, and something good will come out of it. And then because they're the Nazis, the name for this group is the Werewolves. Ah, Die Werwolf. German title Operation Werwolf, which has Werewolf. no E after the R, and that's it's a Werwolf. That's very cool. Werewolf. The the hot story with them is when the war starts going even worse, and the normal army is just straight up defeated everywhere. Goebbels gets on the radio and makes an announcement that this other division that's been hiding out behind Allied lines is actually like a super deadly force that's stronger Mm. than the army and they're the werewolves and they'll be fighting for fascism after the war ends which is not true but it is something he said on the radio so if you're a guy in that division maybe you start to believe it he gets on the radio he's like can you dig it (laughs) rise up 
<laughs> I mean, we do, we do recurrently joke on Cornish Beatty about like DJ Happy Vibes, which is mm-hmm. like a, who, who is a real DJ? By who is a real DJ and he <laughs> is fascist as fuck. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so not Happy Vibes, but yeah, like I do love Operation uh, 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 Wolf because it's just like I can imagine Allied Command being like, "Do you hear on the radio the fascists are still in charge?" Like, who said it? The Minister of Propaganda. Oh. Um, oh. <laughs> I didn't say. I didn't think it through. I didn't. Now that I, now that I say it out loud, yeah. Uh, how what happened to Verwolf is kind of funny, um, mainly because one, it was an operation conducted in secret because a lot of Nazi high command would just not like entertain the idea that they were going to lose. Um, right. Yeah. So. And, like, it's obviously a contingency plan, so, like, you weren't really allowed to talk about it. I think Goebbels, Goebbels was, like, entirely the, like, point man on that. Um, so, yeah, he was because the of, go-off head of the <laughs> Nazi party. Because of that, uh, recruitment was quite poor. It was mostly Hitler Jungens, the Hitler youth. Um, so, boys, uh, a lot of kids, uh, um, probably not up to the task of taking on your average GI. Half wolves, half boy! <laughs> Dean <Dean-wolves. laughs> <laughs> it's literally Nazi before team. the werewolf bar mitzvah joke from Martin uh, Wolves. <laughs> they're all just playing basketball, uh, doing front flips and shit. And uh, I think it ultimately ends up in like I think everyone active within the werewolves realized, okay, this isn't going to fucking work. So it becomes a it becomes a rat line, as it's called. Uh, it basically gets a lot of the remaining SS people or high command people who haven't been killed out of the country and to Francoist Spain, where they won't be killed. It's a good place to be if you're a teen wolf. Uh, <laughs> it's also the role Spain and Portugal basically play throughout Operation Gladio. You you do a you do a big massacre in Italy and things are getting a little bit hot. Well, we'll just send you off to Spain for a couple of weeks and you can hide there until Italy forgets or something. <laughs> yeah, things are hot, all right. You can cool down with small plates. Or tapas. Tapas. Very fun. I'm very tempted to ask, this will completely derail, but I'm very tempted to ask (laughs) if Hitler, if you think Hitler escaped, but we will avoid that line of questioning. Uh, But take us to, what what were things like? Berlin 1945, regardless (laughs) of if Hitler made his getaway or not. I'm curious what you think about that. But uh, what were, was the, were things in motion? Then and there, as the Soviets were closing in, and the because the, they got there first, right? And then the Allied forces show up and sort of call it. They split it in half, and and what happens then with the uh, stay behind armies? Yeah, I mean the the Soviets got to Berlin first, which was definitely part of uh, like that was definitely the the goal. For, there was uh, also for a lot Soviets. more Germany to the east of Berlin back yeah. then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean it's it's a common not not just in Germany but also in Italy that like. The fascists were just like tripping over themselves to go surrender to the the allies, <laughs> like uh, that is the Americans in in UK oh. rather than the Soviets. Yeah. Where so they will, is they that will why they held out? Shit rocked. I mean, I know they had oh, the I ideology mean, that was like we can never surrender, and there were Nazis committing suicide. But were some of them the ones who wanted to live? Were they like we just got to hold out to make sure we don't have to surrender the communists? Oh yeah, I think so. Okay. I mean, I don't even I don't know specific examples. Uh, that Borghese is an example given in the book of, of, in Italy, mm. where he was like, a, um, yeah, basically he led like a paramilitary force that just like tortured and killed across the uh, 
the Salo, the Italian social uh, social republic. Yeah. And it was something like he was like captured by the partisans and they were like going to kill him. And then someone like intervened and like brought him to the Americans. And then, yeah. you know, he was almost, a, he was in a coup attempt <laughs> 25 years later. Hmm. So, you know, th- they were, when they sit in their bunkers, they're like, if I just wait this out, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, but like for some people, for some Germans, it wasn't an option because, like we said, the Soviets got to Berlin, and if you're high-ranking enough in the Nazi government, that's probably where you're stationed. Um, a lot of them possibly weren't oppor- like given the opportunity to surrender to the Allies. Yeah. Um, in terms of the rest of like the post-war, I'm no expert on it, so I shouldn't talk too much. We'll have to come back in a future episode on it. But like, mm-hmm. I think generally. Yeah, the uh, the U.S. and the U.K. were thinking about this, like you know, global war. Um, I think Stalin and the and the the Soviet Union at that time wanted a more regional power, which is what ended up happening with like uh, Warsaw Pact countries. But they were also very they didn't want you know an, an immediate escalation or confrontation, which no. can explain cases like Greece. Um, and that's one of the precip- precipitating uh, reasons for the split between Yugoslavia and the Soviet Union. Of mm-hmm. course, Yugoslavia understandably doesn't want <laughs> like uh, a Western-backed capitalist Greece on their on their uh, southern border. Mm. Um, but I do think that the the Soviet Union was more um, incredibly prudent. Yeah, you could yeah, say you could call it that because like uh, one of the one of the things that like upsets a lot of people when you go into the history of particularly Stalinist USSR was their inability to actually back other communist movements. Right. They they told communist Greece forces to surrender to the monarchists and the British backed government. They supported for a period of time in the Chinese Civil War Chiang Kai Shek, uh, um, the kind of like nationalist fascist leader who then went around and then killed all the communists after the fact. Um, yeah, similarly, Yugoslavia was like one of the problems. There was other things like, if anyone's listened to a, a, a podcast that talk about like Cuba and stuff like that, you'll know that like the USSR was incredibly reluctant to back Cuba. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had to be basically like almost tricked into it effectively. Right, and it goes into their overall policy, which <laughs> is a, is almost you can boil it down to or like almost like a personal miscommunication where Stalin was communicating with uh, FDR towards the mm. end of the war about a state of renewed compromise afterwards and cooperation moving forward. Yeah. And then uh, FDR, who was the most sick man in the world, suddenly killed over and exploded. <laughs> and the guy they had shipped in after him was not interested in having that conversation. So you have, yeah. I mean, the difference between America and Soviet Union at the end of World War II is like two houses next to each other where one is burnt to the ground where you can just see like, the bottom half of the first floor and the other one is just a full untouched house and then being like which one's better <laughs> pretty much and like it's also wild to kind of learn about like what stalin originally wanted germany to be in like the yalta conference he wanted like big neutral uh, um demilitarized germany if i'm not mistaken like not split down the middle uh, um like poland to be formed or whatever he wanted kleningrad and stuff like that the baltic sea but like his original opening gambit was like completely just like a big neutral germany with no soviets no allies but just also no german army what about a big beautiful germany he would say and he yeah. would do the hourglass shape with his <laughs> <Yeah>. hands big neutrals 
so big. Yeah. <laughs> big but yeah, I, it's also it's also kind of obvious. But you know, Austria was also split up. There was a Soviet sector, and it didn't become you know yeah, yeah. become uh, uh, you know East Austria and West Austria. It was just supposed to be neutral. Yeah. So like, there were other possibilities. Well, some of the intelligence investment that the U.S. made after the war. Sort of, ju- I mean, I know they justified it by exaggerating Stalin's and the Soviet Union's influence in other, you know, revolutionary situations. But were they also using like sort of anti-Nazi propaganda, where they're like, "Hitler's still out there; he's on the loose. We gotta," you know, because a lot of people thought that at the time. Don't mean to come, keep coming back to this, but were they using <laughs> like anti-Nazi sort of uh, sentiment to justify uh, what became Gladio? Oh, uh, uh, in the Allies? Yes, yes, America specifically. No, 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 no. God, no, okay. no, no. Don't look too closely at who's like who's staffing the government of West Germany. Please don't. Don't think about the Nazis. They're gone. Uh, never think about it again, please. The USSR did a lot of like anti-Nazi, and the like Eastern states as well. Like the 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 consensus in East Germany that West was yep. that West Germany was like a Nazi continuation state. Mm. Uh, and then, in that East Germany defeated the Nazis. Like, and East, yeah, so and East whereas, Germany defeated. It, yeah. I mean, that's also is maybe criticized today. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, that. that's a like, whole like it, other. it is the West German narrative that developed over some time is this you know concept, this never forget and this you know yeah. almost like. What, yeah, but all of that stuff. But the East German narrative was, we <laughs> like mission accomplished, it. like big yeah. banner on a aircraft carrier in the Baltic Sea. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> if you think about it from the American perspective, there's no reason to get everybody talking about Hitler again when we're trying to get everybody focused on the new enemy. And you roll out your big poster of a red bear. Right. <laughs> and it's fucking a white woman somehow. This image um, will be yeah, recycled he's, later. He's one of those hats. <laughs> he's making the nut face, but for bears. Uh, yeah, this character yeah. design is recycled later in the 90s to become Clifford the Big Red Bear. <laughs> <laughs> no feature film? You can't, he can't be trusted. <laughs> well, yeah, as, yeah, as we talked about before, like the the former Nazi officials were allowed back in governments and heads of corporations and all that stuff. Um, oh, yeah. And were they also recruited directly? Like, how how much involvement was there, perhaps, with little uh, quid pro quo? They set up, you know, places for them to escape to in South America in exchange for helping them out with uh, with G to the I O. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there was direct exchange and collaboration. That's what happened to Klaus Barbie. Oh yeah, yeah or like whatever. One of the one of the for, talk about talk about. Uh, struggle between powers france is like we sentence him to death can do you know where he is? <laughs> nope. no <laughs> uh whoops don't know uh yeah so like one of the big things with um i think a lot of people know about like the rat lines that led to latin america predominantly and the effects that had but that also happened with the gladiators uh the gladiators were predominantly or a lot of them were fascists that were allowed to stay behind for whatever reason either they just weren't like high ranking in the former fascist governments they were a different kind of fascist and they disagreed i uh, there's great videos online of like phalangists fighting with francoists in spain and i'm like i don't understand the difference between you two um so there's these like kind of like things where this is before be they hired. needed a little unite the right this is before that happened <laughs> and got them all on the same page exactly yeah. um, but like speaking of class barbie like one of the most notorious uh, uh, um ultra fascist activists from italy uh, um stefano delle calle 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 
<laughs> yeah. Um, he was like, he just like did a bunch of shit in, uh, uh, he did a bunch of shit in Italy. Then things got too hot. So he was moved to Spain. He did a bunch of shit in Spain. Things got too hot. He was moved to Portugal, did a bunch of shit in Portugal. I uh, did a bunch of shit in Portuguese overseas colonies like Angola. And then when shit got too hot from there, it was like, hey, just go to Bolivia. Work with Klaus. You know him. Uh, set up. A, you remember Klaus? You remember right? Klaus? Uh, uh, yeah, like we got him to. He was involved directly in like Pinochet's Chile. He was de- involved directly in like uh, there was a dictatorship in Bolivia that I've forgotten the name of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like it, it was all kind of connected, mm-hmm. but like specifically with the gladiators, you, if you were coming from Germany or Italy, you had to be like low profile enough. You can't. You couldn't have been a known Nazi. Uh, that would have just been like too obvious. Okay. We talked about this a little bit at the end of the uh, of the CIA episode we did with Vincent Bevins last year. Mm. Uh, but in addition to all of the intentional like scientist poaching we did to fund our space race and stuff like that, and uh, prop up the American military, we are also very nicely stuffing all of the Nazis who fell out of the box back into West Germany, so that they can <laughs> run things there. The, the official points of communication are like, these people are the most qualified, <laughs> I guess because they just had the job under Nazi Germany, and now they change the title and put them right back in where they were. Yeah. yeah. No, the, the most prominent example of that is uh, Galen, what's his name? Arnold? I forget. Uh, who was, you know, basically he, his job was like head of some uh, intelligence gathering on the Eastern Front, and he escaped somehow to the West and turned himself in. And he's like, I know how I have all this intelligence on the Soviet union. And they're like, great. You're the head of the news, head of the new German, uh, <laughs> state, <laughs> securities, yeah. uh, state. Um, that was literally called the Galen organization that directly became the Bundesnachrichtendienst, which continues today to be the, the German, yeah. you know, security. Uh, uh, one of them, I should say. Yeah. A great, just to back like up a second. Yeah. If you're, a long-time listener of the show, you might remember uh, on this ongoing series I've been doing about cocaine and the drug war, yes. Klaus oh, Barbie moving to Bolivia and having a crazy motorcycle gang there where he gets involved in the drug trade. Mm. It's yeah. all connected. Oh, yeah. yeah. Literally, oh, the yeah. the coup that Klaus Barbie did in, uh, uh, um, in Bolivia, I believe, is called the cocaine coup. <laughs> and he did... And he, and he did that with... Notorious gladiator, uh, uh, notorious gladio member, Stefano Deli. Kai, Kai, Kai. Can't do the last name. It's a lot of Kia. Kia. No idea. But uh, yeah, like they, they all, they all hooked up. They were just like, oh, you, you've done, you've, you've proven yourself a gladio. How about some Operation Condor? And speaking um, of hooked mm-hmm. up, one uh, hottie who I believe this all redounds back to is uh, Anya's right. This uh, she had a connection. The the other coup in 2019 that overthrew Morales. That, that I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that party is sort of in the lineage of Barbieism in uh, oh, yeah. in Bolivia. Yeah. And- and she was living. Yeah, it goes all the way to the woman hiding inside yeah. the couch right now. <laughs> and oh, she was boy, one of the finalists for the. Oh uh, yeah, she was one of the finalists for this year's like human rights prize from the EU. Oh yeah. God! <laughs> so She's like stuck we said, in the washing machine of freedom. <laughs> Radio is Europe. It's uh, even if they're hiding it a bit now. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a uh, unfortunate. <laughs> we we just live here. But the, uh, <laughs> So to look at Europe at the end of World War II is 1945. All of the governments have been essentially run into the ground. Uh, America is propping the Nazis back into power in West Germany. And 
the actual political power and the rest of Europe is split into the now successful stay behind units that were fighting the Nazis before. And who were the people in those? In, yeah, okay. So the stay behinds in Western Europe, particularly, I, I think you can, you can basically do, uh, um, you can basically do three broad groups, which is we need to set up a stay behind from scratch, uh, which describes your Nordic countries, Germany and Italy. Uh, and these are like, we hire people who we think are good. They have to have a certain kind of job that allows them to like take jer- trips, like we said. Um, no communists allowed, uh, specifically. So this yeah. attracts conservatives, um, military people. They also get people who are relatively powerful, like people already in the military, secret service, yeah. or police. Traveling C4 salesmen. Yeah. They say, yeah, it's, I have a great cover. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, this is also a great time to... Uh, I, I Something I found out during my research that I just absolutely love, that the Swedish police still has the, like... The fascists, the the fascist symbol in their police logo. Um, so Ow. they were recruited from a bit. Um, so yeah, that's kind of your make it from scratch. Some people kind of prove themselves, particularly in Italy. There was allowed to be a fascist party straight away uh, called MSI. Uh, not mind the self indulgence. If anyone remembers them, um, yeah. yeah, I knew that would get Jake. <laughs> it is the hot topic fascist party. Uh, no, it standed for Italian social movement movimento socialismo italiano uh, and this was your uh, mussolini continuation party and a lot of this party was actually staffed by people who just in like uh you know mussolini's government fell and they're just like i was just getting started like these were literally the people who were like i'm gonna send their ranks and i'm gonna be a big player in mussolini's government and then whoops it's not around anymore uh so they're bitter uh they're recruited from and that's kind of like one wing you then get like your northwestern european uh these are the governments like netherlands luxembourg belgium and france which the allies kind of work with to turn the partisans but specifically the lame partisans that didn't really weren't very effectual uh who made up of conservatives monarchists and fascists who disagreed with the other fascists and then they turned that into the stay behind network um the difference being that the only real difference is that like the partisans relied on weapons being dropped in, uh, whereas weapons were given to them in advance and they just like go buried them in an undisclosed location to be extracted from when needed. Um, the kind of only exception to this is the Netherlands because the Allied-backed partisans in the Netherlands were so fucking ineffectual the Nazis immediately all found them and killed them instantly. Oh. Um, yeah. So... You had to be a communist partisan in the Netherlands to actually get any shit done. Right. And all all of these wonderful guys are held <laughs> up in contrast to the popular and now validated and successful anti-fascist communist partisans who are mm-hmm. now fucking prettiest girl at prom all over the continent. <laughs> Pretty much. In yeah. a lot of places, yeah. Uh, um, um, I wish it were that simple. I mean, the problem <laughs> is that even though Europe is in like in uh like broken to pieces there are still like power bases that can be kind of uh, revived perhaps by the u.s but that are there and can you know organically take off once 
you know, it's set in motion. And mm-hmm. those are things like the church, right. like royalists. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, it's not, uh, so post-war Belgium, the like whether to bring back the king is this like huge fundamental question in Italy. Like some, I think like Sardinia and Southern Italy voted to, you know, bring back the king. Like, mm-hmm. um, I mean, they didn't cause they, the, the majority voted otherwise, yeah, but it was now, an open uh, question. <laughs> He's now running a uh, pasta van in LA. Yeah, uh, I'm not even joking about that. So yeah. um, he's, he's doing well. He's doing great. <laughs> a pasta he met van. Yeah, yeah. Wait, who is the the ex- Who's running the, the exiled royal family of Italy runs a pasta food truck in LA. The great grandson of the last king. Or the great grandson yeah. of the last king. It, the like pasta that. truck is called uh, the Prince of Venice, I believe. <laughs> That's so fucking cool. It's honestly <laughs> probably a better life. He brags yeah. about. He's the uh, king of pasta. Do you, do you have to be the king I'm of the pasta? king. I'm all down. He brags about uh, um, serving food at the premiere for the new Jumanji film with Dwayne the Rock Johnson in it. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. Is there anything cooler than that? And he's still like, hey, oh, maybe you want to bring the monarchy back. I wish I was him. I bet. I wish I was the deposed Italian king. You could easily get the Rock (laughs) to get on board for monarch Italian monarchism (laughs) with the right, you know, flavor of ZT. I feel like you could bring him. You could bring him along the way, thinking he was like, like uh, auditioning for a role, and he's just like, he comes out of this meeting, being like, I think I can play Italian. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Not realizing he's been brought into some sort of operation. Uh, and the only other thing I want to say is like the flip side is that there are divisions within the kind of anti-fascist uh, and communist or let's say the left, because uh, just to take France and Italy as two examples, the tension and the fight between the Socialist Party and the Communist Party continues to be basically a wedge issue uh, onward. Mm-hmm. And so like the communists were very strong, maybe maybe I'm going to mess up some details, but like the communists were strong, like De Gaulle as like the, the PCF, yeah, the yeah. the kind of like I don't know what do you even call De Gaulle Cent- centrist. I'm just going to say, oh no, he's literally just called it. Uh, uh, it's called Gaullismo. Yeah, it's like so Gaullismo. I mean, you know, yeah. the guy <laughs> who who's going to run France, and then you know he doesn't want the communists, and the communists think they can do it, and the socialists kind of want to squeeze both of them out and set mm-hmm. up their own like new new France, and so there is, it's it's by no means like you know it's not like everyone's on the same page, and in Italy like the socialists are the ones who. Um, slowly get into government as part of this uh, kind of agreement as the like, no, well, we're not the communists. You know, mm-hmm. there's like split off groups from the socialist party who want to work with the communists. I think there's a split off group from the communists who go to work with the socialists. Yep. So uh, like, uh, there's a lot of moving and shaking. Every party in modern Italy derives itself from the Italian communist party uh, is like some form of split. And like that includes like conservatives. Uh, um, it's a very strange situation. But the the last little part of that would also be Iberia, which, uh, to quote uh, um, journalists from Spain, Gladio was the government. Like they they just there there was no secret Gladio. It was just what the military intelligence of Franco did. Um, there was like five uh, 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 different wings of military intelligence under Franco. That's all a lot of wings. Doing their own. T- doing terrifying shit odd Too number many. of wings right. that's uh <laughs> that's not safe for flight to have five wings it's uneven no that's a final fantasy ass bird <laughs> it's uh, yeah it's a sephiroth in there yep. until you get the extra wing. it's a sephiroth that just wants to murder all the basques <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the least popular uh <laughs> equal to final fantasy 7 
Okay, editing note for myself here. Uh, we're around 75 minutes in. Is there What else did we want to cover before we close out? Um, we should just do some fun bits. And by fun bits, I mean terrible stories from like... You know, what happened examples. to Hitler? You, you, you want to talk about Vietnam? <laughs> I, 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 I would love to talk about that. I just don't know. I, I don't know about <laughs> yeah, the Hitler we'll, stuff. We'll figure it out next episode. I, I would love to hear some 50 theories. pages of documents up on other stuff. You're like, where is he? Where's Hitler? <laughs> <laughs> food truck is he running? <laughs> All I'm saying, there's oh, no. planes going in, out, in, out of Berlin around that time, <laughs> yeah. bef- right before the Russians got there. It is conceivable. Mm. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Yeah, we could do like tidbits and like previews of things that we kind of like maybe would talk about in more detail sure. going down the line. I think that's probably the way to do it. We can ask, we can answer the Hitler question. <laughs> You're good. You, you should take it away. Give, you, give, give your Belgian examples. Oh my God, Belgium. Fuck it. <laughs> yes, Belgium. So everyone, everyone wants to hang out with Italy. Italy's the cool kid when you want to talk about it. What? Like, uh, Gladio. What? Uh, I can see why because when because Aldo, they had a stupid code name. When, no one wants to talk about S D R A H. When Aldo Moro was kidnapped, literally one of the guys is like, one one thing that's that's uh, not appreciated in the Aldo Moro kidnapping is that they had him for like sixty days, and so it wasn't like boom, we're gonna kill him. They're like, yeah. give us our demands, and then basically the ruling class was like, no, we're, we're good. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, can, yeah, you can. We don't really care about prime him. Minister. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be kind of nice if you killed the prime minister. <laughs> okay, so glad but like no, no. One of the guys who's clearly like, okay, I know that we want him to kill him, but I have to lie about it. And so he's like, someone told me in a seance what building he was in, and then he like reported this information, <laughs> and then they couldn't find him. And then it's like, oh, that actually was the street he was on. That name that someone told you in a seance. <laughs> it's just like, I love that this is like how he's working through his whatever, his yeah. you know, his uh, his guilt of being like, don't give away the cover. <laughs> don't give away. Don't, don't blow the cover. Don't blow the cover. I mean, okay, there's, there's a lot of people. I, w- I want to talk about Belgium just a little bit because Belgium is, everyone talks about Italy, like Italy's sexy, right? Maron. They have like, they've kidnapped... Maron. They they, <laughs> they had they got soft coups they got yeah failed coups soft coups <laughs> failed coups kidnapping a prime minister blowing up an agricultural bank learning what an agricultural bank is uh, don't uh, forget all sorts Tintin of cool stuff. Yep. T- Tintin's Belgian. I know, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, my oh, okay, God. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tintin, uh, uh, continental European James Bond. Yeah. Uh, that's probably my spiciest take. Uh, um, the thing that happens with Belgium, though, is that, like, it is the center of everything. It's where the EU is set. It's where NATO is set. And similarly, Belgium is also just incredibly, like, confused. There's, like, great arguments online that, like, the Baroque nature of the Belgian government is, like, to its benefit to, like, obfuscate all the, like, terrible shit it does. Um, because it's, like, it's a federation where, like, the states are more powerful than the federal government and things like that. It's, like, it's an insane country. Yeah, and one thing just to add quickly is Belgium is an interesting example because a lot of the ones we've talking about, or I've tried to explain as best I can, this, like, mm. state and nation tension, right? Like, and the bigger nation states, like Italy and France, there is this, like, oh, we got these millions of people, we got this big, you know, to, to deal with yeah. in comparison to the power of the state. In Belgium, you have a bit of an extreme example where, again, it's divided, it's not that big, and, like, there's just giant Belgian Congo. Yeah. And so I think that adds to a bit, like, even more to the kind of insanity. Yeah. Oh, yeah, like, they all they, they all tried, like, do shit in Belgian Congo like, like as well. Like, the state, in, maybe not... Uh, irrationally thinks they can get away with more there's fewer of you to stop us (laughs) we have a giant colony 
Uh, it's a densely populated country. It's 16 million people. Uh, um, but is it that many? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the sixth biggest in Europe. That's a lot. Um, yeah, yeah. They're all crammed into a space, all ready to kill communists. Um, the the thing that happens in Belgium that I, I think is probably the most cartoonish example. I talked about like particularly horrific one at the beginning of the episode, but like there is this town in uh, uh, the Luxembourg region of Belgium, not the country of Luxembourg, called Le Vison, and there they drop in a bunch of American commandos to do a stay behind operation where like the whole mission is be here for two weeks and just don't have any of the Belgians notice you're here. <laughs> 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 so what they, year is this this is uh, uh i think like 84 it was 84 yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay so they just uh, had shot a tone <laughs> camouflage they just like they, had, they dressed up yeah, like yeah, cars all, and like the brick walls they had brick wall camouflage they just like stood in front they, of buildings they dressed like belgians did in the in the 80s which would be like what americans dressed like in the 60s <laughs> um so it's it's just a little bit behind here you know and uh um it, it, it's like a genuinely just farcical situation because it's like okay just hide out here for a bit and they do and they like mission succeeds but at the end of the mission you get a reward you get to go down to the local police station and murder the cop there Ooh, <laughs> that's fun that's like yeah because it's like as part of the training exercise okay we've been hiding out for two weeks why we're gonna uh, uh, role play that the Soviets have already taken over and you have to kill this cop who's now an agent for the USSR um, so then they do that wait, wait, and then I'm sorry just... they actually kill the cop yep and yep. was yep. the cop actually an agent for on it nope no, no, wow. no. Belgian, just a cop. Just a Belgian, Belgian like, military police. Sanders. Small town cop. Imagine the smallest town you can think of. This is what Via Somme is. Uh, um, the Bay of Paul Blarts. Yeah, basically. Paul Blart Not even gets, that. that. Okay. Paul Blart gets murked just to for a training exercise, basically. Right now, I think it's good. Imagine a European town that you think only exists in a painting. It's just like hills, <laughs> and there's like a church is the tallest building. That kind of shit. And they just go in, kill the cop. Uh, I'm not even like uh, like a big guy. I think he was like head of filing or something. It was something stupid like that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And then like afterwards, they're like, all right, good job. Training exercise over. And then the secret uh, uh, army, the stay behind army was just like, all right, now we have to pin this on the communists. So they pin it on, uh, um, I believe it's called the the cells of communist combatants. Uh, literally in French is CCC, Cellus Co- uh, Combatant Communist. Uh, and they're like, this is the organization. Results in the biggest mass arrest in Belgian history since they arrested all the Nazis that were in charge. Thousands upon thousands of Belgian communists are arrested. And then it's revealed in the 90s, they made up the whole organization didn't exist they just arrested a a bunch of people (laughs) that they blamed the cop that they murdered on Ah. you're worried about joining an organization don't they'll just say you were part of one later literally literally rob said they were like okay we did delegation you're in charge of guiding the americans when they drop in you're in charge of making up and falsifying this communist organization and that guy just slept on that fucking job (laughs) and it was like the end of the american training exercise they've murdered a cop and they're just like Oh, you wanted that done by Tuesday. Yeah, okay, we'll call it the uh, CCC. The Communist <laughs> Central. If this seems extreme, <laughs> if this seems extreme, this is going on at the same time, these, you know, just... The Brabant the massacres. The Brabant massacres yeah. are going on. So, uh, wh- you know, some people are just murdering women. Oh, this is the... I'm sorry, what are the Brabant? Uh, they... 
The ones uh, we opened. Oh, we right, opened. Right. Oh, oh, right. Okay. That was the last one. There was multiple. Yeah. And uh, uh, old. Yeah. Is there resentment in Belgium for this and other incidents? Or yep. Okay. Oh God, yeah. They hate America. Uh, so, uh, not not necessarily. So like. Um, a really good Gladio documentary was done by the BBC in what I want to say 1992 and one of the people they interview is this German guy from Munich and it is genuinely incredibly heartbreaking because uh, he was involved in the 1980 I think it is Munich bombing um, yeah. which is a carnival in Munich was bombed by a what is Oktoberfest. Oktoberfest. Yeah, yeah. yeah the okay. Oktoberfest. The Oktoberfest <laughs> in the hometown of Oktoberfest. Oh, there are there are some lovely rides there. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh it's it's blown up. It's basically believed to be a stay behind fal- false flag operation. People have not been caught for it. Yeah, the the, the people they arrested and interrogated they're like, yeah, this guy basically said if you need any weapons or training, just ask. Yeah. <laughs> and it is this incredibly tragic footage of this, like, now older, portly German gentleman going, like, and as I was running away from my, from the explosion, I look back and my daughter is no longer holding my hand. And she died. And, like, he's to spend the rest of his life complaining to whatever German bureaucracy will listen to him in, like, an office being like, where are the killers? Why did the investigation suddenly stop? Who killed my daughter? Uh, and these are all specifically non-apolitical people. They were, like, actually very specific. I, there's a quote from, like, an exiled uh, um, uh, Belgian gladiator, Serro, uh, Serro, uh, uh, who retired in Florida or something before he was arrested. There's a quote where he gave to the press who were like, we specifically targeted apolitical people, people who had no stake in the game, people who represented the average citizen, uh, men, women, and children. This is why they attacked, like, Oktoberfest, this is why they attacked like shopping centers mm. and like banks and stuff like that. I mean, it doesn't, it, it, but the, specifically the farmer's bank. Because it's all these the farmer's like, bank, yeah. specifically a very suburban commuter town area of Belgium. That's what Brabant is. It's like the area around Brussels. To get like your average person in suburbia incredibly paranoid about what the fuck is happening. Mm. Um, but also just sympathetic targets to blame on the communists right afterwards. Not even sometimes not even that. Sometimes they were just like, who knows why this happens? Better ramp up the security state. And that was like their whole justification. Wow. Because they couldn't trust the guy to make up the <laughs> communist organization in time, basically. So they're like, we'll just say whoever did this. All right, give me more gems. What other juicy stuff do we got here? <laughs> that is enough to make you really like knowing about this is enough to kind of set you off on a paranoid Google thing, you know. For sure. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Uh, I can give you some more if you want some uh, some more paranoia fuel. Fuel. You can. We can talk about the neutral countries like Austria, Switzerland, Finland, and Sweden, who um, had stay behind networks built in them, pretty much without their consent. Um, Finland, in particular, was very cautious because they were like, "We really, really don't want Russia to invade us. They're right fucking there. They could do it in like an afternoon. So we are not working with the CIA for more than five seconds. Uh-huh. Jesus Christ! <laughs> All we still- have is our skis." Pretty much skis and horrifying boiled reindeer dishes, um, but like that—that that happens. Uh, they still get a, a stay behind network, and it's like basically comes to light that no one in the Finnish government is aware this is happening. Like it, like I said earlier, it was revealed in like the memoirs of a CIA agent being like, "Yeah, I did that. I set up a stay behind network in Finland." I, I think another particularly 
interesting. You could go into like huge stories about individual people. Mm. Uh, there's a, a Finnish stay behind guy who was initially a stay behind army for when they were at war with Russia before World War II. Then he joined the Waffen SS. Then he joined the Vietnam War on the side of the Americans. Changed his name to something American. I believe it was like Laurie Thorne or something like that when his real name was uh, uh, Laurie Thorne. A Thorne. classic American Laurie name. Laurie Thorne. Laurie Thorne. I'm pretty sure that's who the uh, 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 the guy in This Is Us is playing Thorne. in his Vietnam flashbacks. I'm a little late. <laughs> like that. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Natalie and Bulia. I think that was his uh, uh, Spanish. <laughs> that was his code uh, name. <laughs> Yeah, I it on the floor. Classic um, cover song. A lot of people don't know that. There... Oh, really? if you want the real power, <laughs> it is. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry, derailing us again. If you want the real paranoia, I can tell you about Group 134 of the Norway Stay Behind. Hell yes. Um, group 134. They basically had three groups, but they gave them random numbers because, you know, if you broke the group, you're like, wait, this is the 134th? Oh my god, how many are there? Um, but group 134, uh, there was one that was like, like the first two groups, in short. You're going to do sabotage when the Soviets invade. Um, the other group was like, you're going to get the politicians and the royal family out of the country when they invade. And then group 134 was, you're going to be the best goddamn communists the world has ever seen and that was their whole mission during norway well norway was uh, um not invaded by the ussr you know ever uh, and during like 45 until 1990 there was a bunch of people active in like communist movements workers movements union movements who were incredibly well read incredibly knowledgeable perfect public communists and the whole point was like so when the ussr takes over they're going to put you in charge of agriculture or something. And then you can start sabotaging shit. Whoa. So that's your real paranoid. That's <laughs> crazy. That, oh my god. The entire American government has been supplanted by these spies. Yeah, and now we can make Red Scare jokes. <laughs> now with that knowledge. That that was like that must have been like the hardest one. They're like, I, I, I want to, I want to kill people. I don't want to read Hegel. Why are you making me do this? Oh no, because then you have to. Do you wonder if like, because like in COINTELPRO, you know, sometimes cops would flip because they'd be like, go underground, hang out with the hippies, and then they would just be like, this is great, you know, do acid and stuff. <laughs> do you... I love being drunk. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if any of the group of 134 people like read, you know, all of Marx and Hegel and shit, and they were like, I get it. Oh, Let's... I'm Bakunin too. Yeah. I I'm pretty well read and a lot of a, a decent amount of theory. I'd like to think there's more I could read, sure, but I, I, it's just made me sad. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, there. Uh, the Norwegian guys would be like, I want to go back to like, there's just a nice king in charge of me, and I get to murder the odd communist and Dane or Swede, whoever we're at war with. So that's a. Those are some nuggets. Yeah. I think we'll explore. I think there's a there's a lot to talk about. Uh, I I want to yeah. bring up just because oh. I find it I've been thinking about it all day, which is the aforementioned uh, the guy who they're interviewing was in the he talked about Vincent or he was in the oh Luco the guy who fled to Florida or I forget if it was him, but then they're like yeah we had a training base near Boston in the United States, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I've just been imagining all day 1982. Someone working at Dunkin' Donuts. Shooting practice behind a honeydew donuts. Yeah. You look to your left. It's so the... where are you from originally, Belgium? <laughs> you see the great, great, great grandson of uh, of John Adams. You look to your right. 
All right, I'm calling it now. Wahlberg, that's a Flemish name. He's from northern Belgium. Mark Wahlberg. At an ear-splitting volume, uh, yeah. Centerfold by Jake Isles Band is playing. <laughs> My favorite nugget from uh, that, that book that you guys sent me last spring or whatever that was yeah. on this is uh, you have a lot of these stay-behind-network guys as the, the process is formally like underway officially trained by like us and uk green berets and navy seals and stuff and at some point there's some pushback in the uk just because they're kind of grossed out by the uh uh, dirty fascists they're helping who (laughs) don't have the pure bloodlines that they would prefer to associate with yeah yeah (laughs) the 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 uk network is so funny because like a huge part of this and a huge part of like any analysis of like the cia particularly is like one of the things you'll always learn is that they were trained by MI5, MI6 because, like, they had way more experience and stuff like it's that. It's a fancy boys club. Exactly. What are we 100%. doing letting the, the, uh, base Hitler 45 into this? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the, the, various, the various gladiators do all kind of look like shit. Uh, um, <laughs> it, it's worth pointing out, like that Stefano guy I looked like before. It looks like a disgruntled taxi driver. Mm. He does not look like he has like the blood of hundreds of people on his hand, and like overthrew the government of Bolivia because he just looks like like the stereotype you have of a man playing dominoes outside a like cafe in Italy. It's like that guy. He's like brown. He kind of looks like a muppet. He's smoking <laughs> constantly. <laughs> Uh, 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 yeah. and he would just yell at you or catcall you depending on how hot you were that day man that's crazy any one of these guys when you walk around you see these old men yeah. smoking reading the paper they could be up to some crazy <laughs> shit <laughs> just trying to make people more paranoid yeah. now oh, that's yeah, my yeah. New- I, I have two I have a one paranoid and maybe a, a deep paranoid point oh, okay uh, Right, let's let's do that and we'll game. round out this one. <laughs> I think the paranoid We're one... We're getting so close to the two-hour mark. I'm so that, determined. Uh, <laughs> is, <laughs> is that to return all the way back to 1990 and the, the revelations, is that the Cold War ended, but it's not like there's a lot of continuity between 1989 and 1990, between 1970 and 2010, or, or whatever the case may be. And it's not like Europe doesn't have to do that anymore if it was you know it was like literally what was that what one year or two year two years ago where the the eu passed the resolution that like our founding principles are anti-fascism and anti-communism yep like that's, sure. that's, they made that statement every every couple of months yeah that, that's like um it's still in the water here and the the gladio network arose out of like basically a crisis situation post-world war ii obviously creating a, a new world order a new phase of capitalism perhaps and that's why that's certainly what the the rationale given hmm. for for the networks but there might still be networks today <laughs> i mean they said before i think andriotti first said like gladio ended in 1972 and then someone else is like gladio ended in 1990 <laughs> <And> it's <laughs> quick like, update so uh, why would we believe the 1990 date um yeah. i don't know how much uh, you three know about the national socialist underground murders in uh the past few years the nsu or the, the NSU nickelodeon sitcom universe that are just blatantly it is uh, it is shockingly clear that the Verfassungsschutz, which is like the fbi in germany has some knowledge or some connection to it they shredded documents related to the case one of the murders took place in an internet cafe and the the killer walked past 
a Verfassungsschutz-Agent sitting at a computer <laughs> after he just domed someone in the, in the, in the room next to him. Uh, maybe he was really into his game of StarCraft. I don't know. I just like, <laughs> like, what kind of wage are they paying you that you fucking, as a member of the German FBI, couldn't afford your own home internet? <laughs> like, why would you be at an internet cafe? Yeah, you really lost me at internet cafe, but the, <laughs> the murder's bad, too. <laughs> but I'm just like, what She's excuse? Watching pornography like a homeless person. Yeah, like, I'm a freak. I love to do it this way. I have very fast internet at home. <laughs> and there's there's open debate of what people knew, and I think a lot of it focuses on are there right wing network networks embedded into the German state, which mm. there certainly are a lot in the in the cops and everything. But I think when you look at it from a Gladio perspective, there's nothing new about a German state. Just wanting to keep a few people around. Maybe maybe they got out of hand. Maybe they didn't. Maybe it was a rogue operation. Yeah. But maybe you don't need as many. But, you know, this this tactic worked pretty well. Like, we caught us to where we are. So yeah. why would we just throw it all out? It's maybe right. something and this, we want to keep in back This goes back, back to the question of, like, do you still need stay-behind networks when you've fully consolidated power at the front of the line? Like, do you, do you need Gladio in 2020 if NATO's still around but the Soviet Union's gone? And yeah, nobody I mean, asked any questions about it. There was a good, uh, uh, in retrospect, there's a good argument that you didn't need the stay-behind armies to begin with. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, they, no. they, they didn't invade. They, they were not invade. No. They were incredibly prudent about invading. They, they were so... The, the high command of the Soviet Union was just so reluctant to back anything. They were not <laughs> going to fucking invade Austria. Listen. It was... Sometimes to stop fascism, you have to run a secret underground fascist network. Yeah. Fight fire with fire. <laughs> Fight fire with fire. Metallica. <laughs> what was their It's kind of what's yeah. so funny about this whole thing, though, right? Is that they're like, you're right. Like, Stalin was being so prudent and, and you know, reluctant. And yet, that didn't stop this paranoia from just taking over so many people and so many institutions and like all of all of the fucking cold war was just this thing where they're like they're the communists are in my backyard and they're coming for me and you know russia's coming to do all this crazy shit and red dawn's gonna happen and it just like wasn't happening so i mean i think that that's you're right this is a good answer to that question it could still be happening because it shouldn't have been happening to begin with and it just depends how paranoid the entire world still is, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, there's a new Cold War with that same country, in a way, that's and, that's been brewing, so could very well be. People in America on fucking Facebook are concerned about communism <laughs> still, very much. The Chinese you know? groups in America are active, and they're a threat. I really like the idea that there is just some like Langley weirdo embedded in like Shanghai and he's just so white and so Mormon and he's just like, hello, fellow Chinese people. Who <laughs> <laughs> is ready to advance our specific version of communism this year? <laughs> I mean, that gets to a, a wider point that I will probably explore throughout this series of just like Gladio as this very like overt and in-your-face explainer of what is Europe in the world, like, what its actual relationship is, and the answer is America's bitch. 
and it will be for a very long time. Literally, Andriotti, the guy who like leaked this information in 1990, was just like, I w- basically said in his own words, I am shocked to learn that Italy is not a country, it is a protectorate of the United States. Um, and that is kind of true to how the whole thing was being run. And now as we enter this era of supposedly ascended China, a lot of people in Europe don't think that like America is going to come out on top of that like little scuffle. And also, we're not going to be the theater of operations anymore. That's Australia, Taiwan, Japan, South Korea's problem, less less ours. So, like, what the fuck are we going to do? Uh, um, yeah. It raises the bold question, is Europe America's bitch, or are we all collective bitches under a proud Western alliance of nations? Yeah. Who's doing what in the Xerxes orgy from 300? Uh, who's subservient <laughs> to who? Who's wearing and eating gold? Yeah, because I I agree that the the U.S. has an outsized role. I think some people take maybe the like logical leap that like, but for the U.S. intervention, you know, all those nice communist parties that they have in Europe yeah. would have ascended. And it's like we there were so many fascists willing no, to no, 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 no. <laughs> So you you both have like twenty more pages written up on this, and uh, Nick didn't come. I, there's a thing in here they want to talk about the Greek Civil War. What do you think is going to be the next episode on this? Probably Greek Civil War. Yeah, yeah, because it sets the table. For, that's that's your yeah. big clash of like, what are we going to do? It's it's democracy versus communism. Oh, democracy won. Whoops, switch around. It's a military junta. Um, so that's that's your big on the face. What happens? And even when they're in control of everything, they're still paranoid they still want to get rid of all the communists lurking in the shadows cyprus gets involved turkey gets involved nato is the only two things that stop those two countries from killing each other um because they're both nato members so now they have to be friends despite what the youtube comments said underneath all the various youtube things they post (laughs) it's a Um, classic sitcom situation exactly um so that gets into rob's thesis of gladio is europe otherwise it's just a bunch of warring feudal (laughs) pitch countries yeah Uh, and that is kind of my point that i think is i don't know hopeful or not paranoid because when you really accept that it um i mean i guess a a lot of us know that the danger of conspiracy theorizing is whatever it's taking you down rabbit holes or it's not it, it doesn't keep you grounded in what's going on in the world but like when you accept that this that these are the dynamics of you know how European history has worked, how it got to be the way it is, I mean, you accept a lot that like, well, I guess this or that, uh, you know, these are this or that person in power, or like as we talked about on our last episode together, say, you saying you have to love and kiss and hug NATO is not something you ever have to do. <laughs> you just don't have to do that because they literally did all this shit. Yeah, um, and it's actually good to 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 not be. Um, <laughs> you know, on that side, um, despite the like shocked reaction, or you know, the 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 clattering of teacups and dropped forks when when you say that in polite conversation in some uh, dinner party, liberal political circles yeah. in, in Germany or in Europe. But yeah, this is going to be a great series to ruin family dinner parties, and that's <laughs> what this is for. But but I think the Thanksgiving is coming up. Oh, bring up Gladius. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Fuck it. The uh, the hopeful part is that out of all of that. When you realize that it's like a coalition of these, of yeah, security states and like a, it's a loose and unstable coalition of forces, you know, doing all of this. I think that's in some ways when you consider what the left can build as workers movement, as uh, whatever revolutionary parties, that 
it's almost somehow more, you know, feasible than taking on this like backwards nation or whatever. When you realize that the like there is no real like uh, nationalism in the sense that no, I believe this and I'm for the state and all this, and it's like the state will turn on anyone here. And so like when people slowly realize that, it's like. Well, I don't really have much allegiance to this thing. I'm, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with you guys. And one thing that uh, certainly helped me, I want to do a future episode in the series on it, is that like in the '60s and '70s, a lot of left-wing groups like recognized what was going on before it was all clear. Yeah. They're like, yeah, these bombings don't make any sense. This is clearly the state. <laughs> um, their analysis is super interesting. Um, some of the best writing on it happened uh, came from the Situationists in French and Italy, including Guy Debord, which is a great example of when people say the the spectacle is when weird stuff happens on tv uh no he also means when like bombings happen when yeah. when, when when a supermarket gets uh gets turned Shot into up. a yeah gta and i think like that's i certainly may, maybe that makes me weird but i i get a little optimistic when when you realize the stakes of uh of the political dimensions and and how europe was formed um you realize that like I don't know. It's a shaky coalition and it's not like a monolithic, you know, reactionary state or, yeah. or, or however it's often portrayed like, Oh, all those just backwards people out there. You'll never be able to reach. They're not really such a block because the state doesn't even consider them a block. The state considers them sheep to be herded. These guys are dumb as all hell. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be looking into that more in the future. So, uh, check back. This is a, uh, collabo project on the corner spatey pod dame america bonus feeds tell your friends get them yeah. get them to sign up Please. have them ruin their thanksgivings or whatever the <laughs> european equivalent of thanksgiving is good question oh right christmas no easter what easter okay if you're greek boxing <laughs> yeah. day oh yeah and if you are greek you want to listen because there's a oh. lot for you to learn about your country oh yeah Sit down to a big Easter lamb and honey-coated sweet potatoes. You sick fucks. Why would you do that to potatoes? <laughs> Jesus. It's a savory food. Don't put honey... Okay, it's fine. Whatever. You're orthodox. It's weird. You have a different Easter. Uh, um, They're called sweet potatoes. Are they savory? Hold on. Let's. We got to do a new podcast. No, no, no. These are yellow potatoes. These are normal potatoes, but they put honey on them to make them sweet. Because they didn't have sweet potatoes. Oh, that's potatoes. weird. All right, that's pretty yeah, weird. That's weird, yeah. Strange inventions from the people who rotate meat on big sticks. Yeah. The people who invented democracy and then decided, nope, never again. This sucks. <laughs> <laughs> this fucking military junta. Sight. <laughs> Although the military junta was, that the, the, the U.S. We did have, have more. We, we have no time. <laughs> <laughs> is, there a, is there a song that we should be ending on here? I think the ultimate um, Operation Gladio song, the song that I listened to on repeat while writing the notes, was Andrew WK's Get Ready to Die. <laughs> it's settled. <laughs> <laughs> Woo!